The most powerful goals are really Goldilocks goals. So they have to be just the right level of difficulty. If they're way too difficult, there's no chance you're going to attain it. You know, it's just going to be really demoralizing when you fall off track. And on the other hand, if it's too easy, then it becomes almost meaningless, right? So if we can find this sweet spot, these kind of Goldilocks level goals, that's where you really see some good outcomes. You're listening to Financially Fit, the podcast for women looking to own their financial status, improve their money smarts and become financially fit. Today's episode is hosted by me, Nicole Byers, Editor-in-Chief of the Australian Women's Weekly, in partnership with Commonwealth Bank. I am joined today by finance commentator and author Effie Zahas. Hi, Effie. Hi, Nicole. Thanks for being here. And we're also joined today by Natalie Spencer from the Behavioural Economics team at Commonwealth Bank. Welcome, Natalie. Hi, Nicole. I'm going to start by saying, what is financial well-being? Great. Yes. So financial well-being is about both objective outcomes and also subjective thoughts and feelings. And what I mean by that is that it is for sure about meeting your obligations. So that would be paying for rent or your mortgage, all of your bills. Um, And those are really the outcomes. But it's also about having choices that um, help you to really enjoy life. So in order to have those choices, you really need to have both control and a sense of freedom as well. Financial well-being is also about having security, and that's security just in the short term, but also in the long term and when there are adverse circumstances. So if there's an unexpected expense or if you have a change in circumstances as well. Mm. So financial literacy and financial well-being are actually quite different, aren't they, when you look at it? So financial well-being, in simplistic terms, I really like something you said about the rainy day, everyday kind of analogy for for lay people to understand. Talk us through that. Yes, definitely. So I think there are two points there. One is that um, for sure financial literacy or knowledge about concepts is useful for financial well-being, but it's not the whole picture. And as we know, financial well-being is about actually getting to outcomes as well and having comfort and confidence in your ability to meet those obligations. And A useful way to think about having kind of this holistic picture of your finances is to think about it in everyday financial well-being, rainy day financial well-being, and one-day financial well-being. What that really means is that your everyday financial well-being is about making ends meet from paycheck to paycheck, um, making sure that you're able to pay all of your bills, but also get things like the coffees that you want and, and meet your lifestyle. Whereas the rainy day is making sure that you're prepared for those unexpected expenses. And one day is, of course, about retirement, but also your other long-term goals. And it's those um, rainy day things we've got to look out for, isn't it, Effie? They're the ones that can trip people up. You think you're going along okay, you're meeting Mm. all your obligations, but are you prepared for that unexpected curveball that life throws? Well, it's hard to plan for the unexpected. But if you take time out, you can actually kind of think what may come around your corner. It's interesting. In my industry, you know, there's job volatility. So really, someone like myself should know that, hey, I may not have a (laughs) job around the corner. So do I have that emergency fund? But if I can just touch on a little bit what what Natalie was saying, I think a lot of us forget that financial wellbeing can be as simple as what you were saying. It's, you know, if you can pay your bills or I've got $1,000 in my emergency account, I feel better. I feel great. And that's the wellness I'm looking for. But you also mentioned that the link between financial literacy and financial capability doesn't necessarily have to be there. I'd like to hear more about that because Mm. when we look at so much information that's out there, it is literacy overload. Mm. Yet, I'm not feeling better. I'm not feeling richer. Why are the results showing that when you look at the Hilda survey, the gap that's there, why, why is the link between literacy and wellness not there? 
So I think there are a couple points to this. One is that for sure, knowledge about concepts is related to financial well-being, but absolutely, financial literacy alone doesn't get you all the way to financial capability or financial well-being. But ComBank did some research with the Melbourne Institute, and we found that actually having some level of knowledge, so having some financial literacy, is associated with higher financial well-being. Mm. There wasn't a huge difference in uptake from having a moderate level of literacy to a really high level of literacy. And actually, I take comfort in that because what that means is that you might be able to get a basic level of knowledge. You don't need to become an absolute superstar and know everything and be a total expert. But if you get some basic level of knowledge that is associated with higher financial well-being. I really like this idea of knowing what, kind of work out what your financial well-being is. I work in magazines. I love a quiz. So I think CBA have got a really good tool, haven't they, where you can kind of do a little bit of a test and work out what your financial well-being is before you get started on trying to fix it. That's right, we do. So because financial well-being is about both um, your actual outcomes and also how you're thinking and feeling, this part of the quiz, if you like, asks 10 questions about your financial wellness. And it's great because then you get a sense of where you stand and also what areas you might want to look into in a little bit more detail. It, it sounds boring. I think one of the best tips I've ever had in my life was when I moved from banking and went to a, a job in uh, media. And back then it was the finance guru, Paul Clithrone. He said, Effie, it's not what you earn that counts, it's what you spend. And it seems so simple, but that's so true. And I think if we just sat down and said that to ourselves a few times, then it could possibly solve a lot of problems. It is boring, but you're right. You actually do have to sit down and then the first step is, well, I earn a good income or, or maybe my income is tight or whatever the situation may be. Where's it going? Effie, we've talked about how, you know, we need to look at whether we are financially in a good position, but if we yeah. decide that we could be doing better, how yeah. do we start that? I really think, you know, it'd be really great for the listeners and for myself to get a really simple overview yeah. of just one way we could start being more financially savvy. Well, everybody's finances are different. For me, what works, and this is not new, I've definitely not invented it. It's kind of worked off the old system. When I first got paid many, many moons ago, it was more in an envelope system. And I had that. I knew, okay, I've got to pay that for my rent there. And this is for this and this is for this. Things are now a little bit more sophisticated. I've got two kids that are draining my funds and <laughs> I have to be organised. I have to account for wherever my dollar is. And Marie Kondo, bless her for <laughs> organising our socks and undie drawers. But if I'm going to make an analogy there, it's like I have all my, say, socks and undies in one drawer. It's going to be a mess, isn't mm. it? By the end of the week, it's all going to be mixed up. I've actually put those in compartments now. You'd be very proud of me. <laughs> well, she would be very proud of me. But the same goes with money. So there's a bucket formula that's uh, been going around for a long, long time. And you can break it any way you want, maybe 70% for everyday expenses, 20% for savings and 10% for splurging. And then you can name that even further. The reason I like putting these in little buckets is because I won't touch it. Imagine there's $5,000 sitting in one account and you want to blow $500. You'll do that because you've got 4,500 left. There's no pain. But imagine 5,000 spread over five accounts and they're named. So one is for tax, maybe. One is for Nikki, my daughter. One is for Costa. There's no way I can take 500 out of Nikki's account so I can go for a splurge. I could, but I'd feel guilty. <laughs> Once you personalise it and you realise that's 50% of the money in that account, things move differently then. So I'm I'm a big fan of getting my money organised. So you can work on that bucket system where I sat down and actually spent about four hours on a Saturday, did a whole Excel spreadsheet. This is where all my money floods out. 
Okay, can I do better? And then what are the buckets I need? Name them, personalise them. And then it's all automated. Bang, payday, poof, everything comes out or goes in. And it's that monkey off your back. I'm organised. It's just about transparency, isn't it, Natalie? It's about, you know, as you say, being held accountable for your spending, mm. I guess, and not, and not making it too easy for yourself to get in those bad habits. Yeah, definitely. Well, I want to build on two things that Effie said. So one is this idea of naming, because what's interesting is that a rational economist would say, oh, well, there's no difference. It's, you know, you've just put those labels on. It doesn't mean anything. The money is still fungible. It means you can still use it for anything you want. But of course, we know from real life and from a lot of research that that's not the case, that you do get that sense of guilt. You know, if you do have the envelope that has the picture of your child on it, you're not going to dip into that, will you? So that's really great. And I think it's interesting, Natalie, because sometimes if you're too focused on that one goal, that other things can kind of Mm. fall by the wayside in terms of your everyday needs. Absolutely. So I think that um, in general, goal setting is really useful. It's great for motivation. The one thing to look out for is you want to make sure that you're still taking a holistic approach and a holistic view of your whole situation. So let's just bring this into a practical example. So let's say you're really committed to putting aside a certain amount of money for savings and you're so committed to that that then when an unexpected expense has come up and you don't have an emergency fund already put aside that you use some sort of high interest credit instead of dipping into that savings account. This is where you get that example of having kind of stuck too closely to your goal without looking at the bigger picture. At the expense of everything Mm, else, yeah. Absolutely, yeah. But I also want to just talk about goal setting in a different way as well, that I always think about it that the best way or the most powerful goals are really what I call like Goldilocks goals. So they have to be just the right level of difficulty. If they're way too difficult, there's no chance you're going to attain it. And, you know, it's just going to be really demoralizing when you fall off track. And on the other hand, if it's too easy, then it becomes almost meaningless, right? So if we can find this sweet spot, these kind of Goldilocks level goals, that's where you really see some good Mm. outcomes. We are talking today about being healthy, wealthier, and wiser. And I kind of think there's parallels there with fitness as well, isn't there? If you, if you say, I want to you know, lose 10 kilos in a month, you're probably not going to get there and then you're going to blow out and be disappointed. And if you make it too easy, then what's the gain? So I, I kind of like, for me, that's a parallel I make with a lot of the stuff we're talking about financially can be compared to your health. You have to know your health before you start. Yeah. You have to yeah. you know, have goals and all those things. So I think that makes, for me, kind of, needing to prioritise my financial fitness as much yeah. as my physical fitness is a good place to start for a lot of people. Yeah. Okay, so we've got our goal now. I'm going yep. to Europe next year. I need to save some money. <laughs> How do I stay motivated? How do I stop those little things that derail me along the way? What advice and insights can you give on that? I would definitely say that the first step should be to chunk your goal. And this is really useful for a number of different reasons. One of them is that it helps you to understand if it is achievable or not. So let's say it's $6,000 over a year. Then when you chunk it down to a month, then you see, okay, that's 500 per month. And then you chunk it down to a week and you say, okay, well, that's a little bit more than a hundred a week. And then that just really helps you get a sense, is that achievable for me? Yes or no. And then you can tweak up or down for that. But also it gives you a chance to track your progress and you don't have to wait until the end of the year to see how you're doing. You're able to, to track it against those chunks. And what if there's that one thing that you really, really, really don't like doing, you know, sitting down, going through the spreadsheet each month, doing your taxes, like, is there any way we can kind of make that less painful experience? Yes, absolutely. So I can empathize with this a lot. My husband likes us to do a personal finance meeting. And even though I love my work and I love being in this field, 
even I know that that's a pretty boring thing to do is to sit down and, and look at your finances. So we do something which is called temptation bundling. Essentially, the concept here is just that you take something that is effortful or a chore or something that you don't really want to do, but you know that you really should do, and you bundle it with something that you like, that you find tempting. Um, so in our case, when we do this, we make sure that we go to the cafe around the corner from us, our favorite cafe, and get coffees and pastries. And we only go to that cafe when we're doing our personal finance meetings on a Saturday morning. <laughs> I like that idea, Evie. <laughs> Can you relate? I get motivated by the fact that I'm going to find some savings here. If that's not enough to motivate somebody, I don't know what is. The thing is, I then say, if I find some savings, maybe I'll keep 30% of it and save the 70%. And that's an ongoing saving too. So uh, treat myself, put some time and effort in, pay yourself for that time. In most cases, people will find huge savings on big ticket items, having a look at their mortgage, having a look at their utility bills, having a look at their phone bills or, or service or providers. Service providers, yeah. exactly. And there are also some tools that can help make it easier as well. So there is so much money that goes unclaimed in Australia. And so there are tools like on ComBank, we have the Benefits Finder, where if you use the app, you can go in and you can check and see if you are eligible for a rebate or a benefit. Um, so these types of things, along with, as Effie has mentioned before, like getting just a real clear, crisp view of your finances and what you're spending money on and where you might be able to make changes. So all those subscriptions that you have that actually you aren't really using, do you really still need to pay money for them? But if I can just add to, we are in a situation where we've got record debt. So some people may be listening to us right now and thinking, well, this is all well and good, but I have cut as far as I can cut. I've got a huge amount of debt. I'm not feeling anything. And that that's the reality. I'd love to get your feedback on this. Sometimes you've got to do maybe not what's financially right to get somewhere. And what I mean by that, if you do have a lot of debt, sometimes it may be easier to work on the principle, you know what, I'm going to pay my smallest debt off first. I'm just going to focus on that. Even though it may not be the highest interest rate, it's the smallest debt. I knock that off. I put everything else in my minimum repayments and channel everything to my smallest debt. You need to have a plan in place. If you are drowning in debt, your number one priority now is to have a look at your situation you're in and put a plan in place. Because you can talk about going to Europe, we can talk about doing this, but that's not going to happen to you, you know, clear that Absolutely. debt. And we have got record low interest rates. Unfortunately, I can sit here and say refinance to a cheaper rate, but that's going to be hard because lending criteria, it's tough at the moment. Mm. So sometimes you've got to take this in your own control. It may go against the logic of pay your highest interest rate debt first. But if that's, say, a $20,000 credit card, it's going to take a long time for you to pay off. And again, You're not that can seem it. quite daunting, can't yeah, it? That can seem yeah. an insurmountable yeah. goal, whereas the smaller debt can Get seem your more doable. Debt. Yeah. Put everything on your minimum repayments on the other one. Focus on knocking that one debt off. Get that off. Tick it off. Cross. Done. Move to the next one. When it comes to saving money, if you have the relationships that you, you like someone enough just to go for a walk for a few hours and talk, mm. you don't always have to be going to the expensive restaurant or, mm. you know, you, all your, your social activities can be around just spending time with people you like and you can get your enjoyment there. That can actually be quite beneficial. A savings buddy is a great idea and you don't actually have to tell them what you earn if you don't feel comfortable no. with that, but just to have that person to say, hey, I, I thought you wanted to save for that, you want to go over that overseas holidays, yeah, give that a miss and so on. Yeah. It is good to talk to your savings buddy. But having said that, I find I save a lot of money in winter because yeah. I just don't go out. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. That's true. <laughs> Now, 
Now, I'm a big fan of saying, you know, putting my hand up and saying I can't afford that. And I think having a young child, it's really important as well for yep. her to see me say, you know, it's your birthday, you can, we can have this, but we can't have what Johnny had. We don't yes. go skiing every year. We don't have necessarily what all yep. your friends have. And there's a lot of people that don't have what we have. So it's really important not only in your peer group, but I think for, your, for the sort of example that you mm-hmm. leave at home as well. That honesty is refreshing and I, I think people are starting to embrace it more. Yeah, yeah, I'm all for it. And in that case, Nicole, I think it turns into a learning opportunity mm. as well for your child. So it can be a learning opportunity in terms of the mathematics involved, but also just in spending within your means. Mm. I think so. And as you were saying earlier, all this technology that makes it so easy to spend without mm. money now, I think children just work out, think they can get whatever movie they want on Netflix mm. and we can order food. It just turns up at our house. We're not going to the shops with a wallet, putting our cash over like we used to. So probably need to be a little bit more chatty with our kids about finance and reminding them Mm. that all those things we're doing are actually costing money and I'm going to work to earn money. That's right. And you can understand the difference, you know. So if you have notes and coins, that's something that's tangible and people can see and you you can actually see the exchange happening. You know, you hand over some notes and you get the ice cream cone, for example. But with all of this new technology, it makes a lot of the spending invisible. So I think there is a lot of opportunities there Mm. to talk more about spending and exchange with children. Another little tip that I give myself if I have a look at my apps, I regularly have a look at my phone, I need to delete an app that's costing me money. And by app, you'll probably have maybe Deliveroo, Uber or um, Olay or whatever the case may be, a buy now, pay later service. So your digital footprint's quite powerful. Now that we don't have change in notes, have a look at your digital footprint and see if you would be proud to share that with your neighbour. If we can um, leave the listeners and myself with some advice about how we get active, because as we know, with any new regime, whether it's a diet or a fitness program or a financial overhaul, getting started can be the hardest thing. How do we actively take on these challenges? Yeah, I like to keep my affairs simple. Do get expert advice when you need it. Obviously, you know, nobody knows everything and even, you know, the best of the best have a whole team of great people around them. But by keeping things simple, automate your savings. It's never too late to start saving. Whether you're 30 or 60, just automate it. We are living longer. If you want to see how long you're going to live, get on the longevity calculator. That will shock you. So automate your savings and the magic of a compound interest will pop in. And I get so excited looking at that because it's interest on interest. It's as simple as that. And there's some statistics that came out, I think, through uh, JP Morgan, whereby if you save from 25 to 35, then stopped, you'll still have more money than someone who started saving from 35 to 67. So that's amazing. That's to amazing. Me. That's now, that amazing. assumes a 7% interest rate. We're not going to get 7% <laughs> now, but it just shows the, the magic of interest on interest. Look, love thy super. I always say that. I'm a big fan of super. I still believe that it's got the wealth creating capabilities there. Set your goals. And as I say, my greatest fear, and I've said this before to you, Nicole, is retiring in a polyester outfit and drinking (laughs) cask wine. And, you know, if I don't put a goal in place, which we talked about, it's not going to happen. So mine are pretty simple. There's this idea that it can be really difficult to think towards our future. And that's because our today self is me but our future self feels like an old stranger. It doesn't really feel like me. So it feels like- That's the problem with super, isn't mm -hmm. it? It seems the long way down the track. Absolutely. So I feel like I'm sacrificing all of this fun and good times now for somebody that I don't even really know Mm -hmm. down the line. But there's this really interesting piece of research by Hal Hirschfield and some of his colleagues. And what they did is ask a group of people how much they wanted to contribute to a retirement fund to select a percentage. And for- Everybody who they asked, they also showed them a picture of themselves. 
But for half of the people, they showed them a picture. It was their current employee photo. And for the other half of the participants in the in the research study, they showed them a digitally aged version of that photo. And what I mean by that is, you know, it had wrinkles and gray hair. You know, you can get those apps that, that will digitally age a photo. So they used, <laughs> Why anyone wants to do that, I'm not sure. <laughs> oh, I know, I know. It's terrifying, isn't it? And so for half of them, they got their present self. And for the other half, they got an image of their future self. And what they found was that just having that difference in photo really changed the outcome of how much people were willing to put forward for their retirement by about 50%. So the present self group did around 4% and the future self group nominated just over 6%. So that's a huge difference. And the main point here is that anything we can do to draw connection to our future self could be really, really helpful. And the unfortunate thing is right now, um, there is a tremendous amount of women living in poverty that just should not be there in that situation. I mean, the pension's what, around 27,000? And that's the alternative. That's what we're looking at if we don't put some plans in place. Well, thank you, ladies. It's been such a good chat and I am feeling motivated to get out there and um, be a little bit better at at saving and and make those goals happen. Otherwise, I won't be going anywhere next year. (laughs) Um, I guess today, I hope you know, everyone that listened has taken something away from it. And I think, you know, as we discussed, we need to start by setting our goals and finding out what our financial situation really is. And at that point, it's about motivation. It's about re-looking at our friendships. It's about re-looking at the things that we spend that we may not need to. And I think it's about consumerism. We're about more, more, more now. Yeah. And is that really making us happy? I hope everyone's taken something away from that today. Thank you, Natalie. Thank you, Effie. Thank you. Thank you, Nicole. I hope you've all enjoyed our first Financially Fit podcast and please make sure to keep an eye out for more podcasts in this series wherever you get your podcasts. 